Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Liberty Dispatch Interviews. We are glad that you've joined us. We're very pleased to have with us today on the Dispatch, Andre Schutten. He is ARPA Canada's Director of Law and Public Policy and General Legal Counsel. Andre researches and writes on public policy, conducts regular analysis on the impact of different government bills and court judgments, and lectures regularly on constitutional and legal issues. He has made oral or written arguments before the Supreme Court of Canada in four cases and in five provincial courts of appeal. Andre has an honors BA in classics and religion from McMaster University, a law degree from the University of Ottawa, and a Master of Laws degree in Constitutional Law from Osgoode Hall. Andre is a former infantry reservist, an amateur church organist, and a recent Muay Thai enthusiast. Andre and his wife, Karen, have been married for 14 years, and together they have three children. Andre, thank you so much for joining us on The Dispatch today. It's great to have you with us. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. So the reason why we wanted to have you on the show uh, is in light of what's happening with Josh Alexander and the mm -hmm. issue at the Renfrew Catholic District School Board. Uh, we had Bruce Party on last week. We had James Kitchen on two weeks ago. I know Mike is also interviewing uh, James and interviewed Bruce and he's going to be speaking with yourself. And so what we want to do is we want to continue to expose this story and let people know what's actually going on, that there are levels of lawlessness and, and evil and, 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 and all sorts of wickedness that we see abounding. But we wanted experts in areas of law and constitutional law to speak to what's going on, to help inform our audience and to increase awareness. So as we did with Bruce, I'll just give a quick kind of summary of where we're at right now to bring everyone up to speed who doesn't know about what's going on, just to frame our discussion. Essentially, back in November and December of 2022, at uh, the high school where Josh attends, he was approached by a girl who said that she was uncomfortable and felt unsafe with boys entering into the girl's bathroom, that the school has a trans bathroom policy. Josh reported it to the principal. The principal said, I'm not going to help you with your personal crusade. Those are his actual words you know, bring a girl, maybe it's different. So the girl was willing to approach the principal and tell him, I feel unsafe and uncomfortable with boys in the girl's bathroom. The principal did nothing. Josh scheduled a walkout in protest of the trans bathroom policy. Two days before the walkout, he was suspended before the walkout actually happened. And he was suspended for 20 days pending an investigation. The 20 days ends as of the new year. So this was January 9th and he was allowed to go back to school, but he couldn't attend his afternoon classes. He was excluded from his afternoon classes because the trans students felt unsafe and that he would be violent and they were threatened. So Josh showed up to his afternoon classes and sat in on them with the vice principal staring at him keenly. And then later that evening, Josh received notification. And so did we, because at this point, he had already reached out to Liberty Coalition Canada for guidance and for James to represent him in appealing the suspension. And they reached out to James and said, Josh is suspended for the remainder of this week. So that's the first week of January. And he is not allowed to be on school property for the whole month. Otherwise, he's trespassing. And so our response was, well, we're going to appeal the suspension. 
we are going to deal with the fact that he was excluded from his class based on his religious beliefs and he's being discriminated against. And also we're going to deal with this trespassing order. So where we're at right now is that the school board is not budging. They're saying, no, we're making no concessions. We're not changing the policy. We're not changing anything we've done. The trespass order, they're locked in all the way. They've retained a very expensive law firm as well. And so we are saying, no, we're appealing these things. He's being discriminated against. His rights are being impinged. And so that's essentially where we are right now with the case and with Josh. So obviously the, this exact case is not something that you're, you're, you're dealing with, but I'm sure you're quite familiar with, with, with things of this nature, especially as we've seen what's going on the last number of years in our country. So Andre, give us your thoughts, high level thoughts, jump in anywhere you want and, and speak mm -hmm. to what's going on here. Give us your opinion. Yeah, I think, I think this is, this case is, is one that shows where our, where our culture is at, right? It's, it's a, a symptom of a, a much bigger cultural problem. Um, and, and there's many aspects to that problem. I, I think the first one uh, that I feel like we should talk about is, um, you know, at, at a high school level, we should be able to have conversations in which we disagree uh, with another person and maybe even disagree fundamentally uh, with another person. And that that we can accept that that disagreement doesn't mean hatred, it doesn't mean bigotry, it doesn't mean um, uh, it, it certainly is not violence. It's disagreement and it's disagreement about fundamental questions. Who are we? Why are we here? Um, uh, what's the purpose of our body in relation to our identity? Uh, these are fundamental questions that are worth, worth talking about. Um, and Josh obviously has a very strong religious perspective on, on the answer to those questions. Who am I? Uh, what does my body tell me about who I am? Uh, how ought I to live? Um, he, he believes rooted in his, in his faith, yet has certain perspective on that issue. And, and apparently so does the school board that he's part of. And, and so, so do certain uh, individuals within the classes that he attends, including, you know, self-identified trans, transgender, uh, students. So, uh, apart from the question of, of transgenderism, uh, already a fundamental issue, uh, around dialogue and, uh, debate and arguments, um, that is being undermined in in post or sorry in secondary institutions. I mean, certainly in post secondary institutions as well. But in this case, in secondary institutions, where where we as a culture have said it's better to be silent. It's better to silence people who are speaking, you know, uh, and into a conversation about truth. Um, it's better to silence them than to allow other people to be uh, to risk being offended. That's a really uh, troubling trend. It's been going on for years already. Uh, but um, it makes me wonder where are we as a as a culture where we can't even have have these kinds of conversations without vilifying one side of the conversation, dismissing them, barring them from from even being on the same location in the same location anymore, because of a purported you know risk or or a sense of violence uh, and so on. Um, so I think that's that's an issue that we need to wrestle with as Canadians uh, and and certainly as Christians. Is this is this healthy for a society? I say definitely not. Um, but we could talk about some of the other cultural issues too, Andrew, as you'd like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so initially, what comes to my mind, Andre, uh, you guys at ARPA have done a lot concerning uh, former Bill C four, now the conversion therapy ban, and that yeah. really ties into this 
this topic quite well. Um, mm -hmm. And you kind of talk about the inability to have this conversation at the high school level or the college level, um, and really how as a society, we've stacked the deck in favor of one opinion of human identity. And now that's mm -hmm. actually legally codified in our criminal code. So maybe you can talk about how did we get to that point, Andre? I know you were you were advocating strongly for um, the change in language surrounding mm -hmm. uh, what was formerly Bill C-4 um, mm -hmm. so that it would protect people's ability to speak um, their own opinions and re deep religious convictions concerning human identity and what uh, mm. the the word of God says about hu how, how human beings are made sexed creatures and we uh, that's ingrained in who we are and it comes with all different roles and um, yep. that identity is so crucial to what it means to be created in the imago day all those things I know you've talked about. As Christians, what 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 is something that ARPA's kind of directed people towards? Like, how do we deal with this climate that we're in? And what are some thoughts that you maybe have concerning um, the conversion therapy ban and and how we can lovingly talk to our neighbors, our friends, and and even our colleagues in the legal profession or whatever concerning mm -hmm. this this really dangerous trend uh, that we're seeing in, in our society. Yeah, I, I think that so. So one thing that would be, um, you know, you said, how do we talk about it lovingly with other people? Well, uh, a couple of things that we need to understand about speaking lovingly. Uh, one, it, one is related to how we speak and the other is what we speak. So what we speak needs to be the truth, right? If you if you don't speak the truth to another person that can't be loving it, it automatically cancels out the love factor because uh, uh, to be loving communication must be honest it must be truthful but that also means like there's a loving way to communicate that and there's a not so loving way uh to communicate that so that's the that's the how question and i think that that christians would be uh would do well to to ponder what scripture says about that right a uh, the book of proverbs for example talks about how a um a gentle answer turns away wrath and that uh, whereas a harsh answer uh, can be um, can stir up tension and, and dissension. So so the way we speak, um, scripture guides us in that in that respect as well uh, so that we can actually engage another person. But the problem is, is that where our culture is, is even the most loving uh, engagement is automatically being dismissed as as hateful or bigoted in its essence. Um, and and there's therein lies a problem. And so when the conversion therapy ban was being proposed and was supposed to be debated in parliament and never did get debated but when it was supposed to be debated one of the ideas that we had um, and that we proposed it was to amend the legislation so that it properly defined conversion therapy uh it's not if, if by by conversion therapy if we mean you know uh taking somebody uh who who identifies as a, a gay man or a lesbian woman or a transgender individual and strapping them down to a table and and electrocuting them in order to try to force them to become straight if, if that's what we mean by conversion therapy which is kind of a popular uh idea it, like popular in the sense of it's it's what most people think of as conversion therapy um if that's what we're talking about banning no problem i have no problem uh banning that uh, i don't think it's happening but if it were happening i'd be okay with banning it but of course the definition of the criminal code goes so broad as to suggest that well even having a conversation with another person and saying 
maybe your core identity isn't what you think it is. Maybe your core identity is that you've been created by a loving father in his image. And what does that mean about you? And, and maybe you've been created in a way that, 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 that you've been invited into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And what does that mean for your identity? And, and what does that mean certainly for a Christian and their identities? Not only that they're made Imago Dei, but they also find their identity in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a Trinitarian uh, identity that a Christian holds. Um, what does that mean when you try to share that with another person who's not a Christian, right? Having those kinds of conversations is not conversion therapy. It certainly shouldn't be criminal in any event. Uh, and yet that's that's kind of where our, our, our legal, our academic, and even our, our media institutions in this country, uh, with the exception of Liberty Dispatch, of course, uh, that's where they're, they're shoving us in that in that direction, that, that, that even having the conversation somehow undermines uh, or cancels the existence of a, of a person who identifies, self-identifies as gay or lesbian or transgender. Um, which, you know, which, really, to me, which to me smacks of cult religion behavior, right? You can't even oh, yeah. entertain. And, and that's the interesting part. When, when I was looking over what's now codified in law in the criminal code, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the language that is used in the preamble that is used throughout what was put forward in Bill, mm -hmm. formerly Bill C-4, is religious to the core. So we're instituting a new mm. secular humanistic religion, and we're saying, by law, if you counsel anybody in any other religious a fundamental worldview about human identity and sexuality, you can be fined or punished in law. And the crazy part is it's just so unbalanced. And and this is this kind of gets to how how are we in the 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 spot, Andre? Where coming out of the British common law tradition, um, mm. equality before the law, where we can actually codify into law a bill that says, "Listen, if you want to counsel somebody towards a Christian identity and a Christian worldview in sexuality, you can be punished, thrown in jail, fined." But if you want to groom somebody into a LGBTQ lifestyle, into a sexual identity that does not correspond to their gametes, well, that's go for it. You know, you that's all good. That's covered by the law. <laughs> it's it's mind boggling to me to think that we've reached where we are, and and it has serious legal ramifications, I think, Andre. I don't know if you can speak to that, if you want oh, to give a sure. comment on that, um, but yeah. it's it's hard to fathom that this is where we yeah. are. Well, it's, it's a massive religious or cultural shift, right? So since the, especially since the 1950s, like post-World War II, um, there were ideas that were being promulgated uh, in the academy, and, and actually you can trace these ideas back to, to guys like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, Darwin's thought, Nietzsche's thought, Marx's thought, Freud's ideas, uh, Marcuse's ideas. Uh, these are all philosophers and, um, and, and major thinkers who are anti-Christian. They're, they're anti-Bible. Um, and their ideas are man-generated man ideas. They're, they're, they're bad ideas. And, and I often say, uh, and I'm borrowing from a guy named John Stone Street, I heard him say it once and it's bang on. He said, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And there's lots of bad ideas that have been shared from philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau and, and Marx and Darwin and Freud and, and Marcuse and so on. And those bad ideas have victims. And those bad ideas um, 
have been promulgated in uh, in the academy in the 1950s, 1960s. We get the the sexual revolution in the late 1960s, and and those ideas uh, continue to grow and fester within uh, society and within culture. And but the problem is is that it also those ideas grew within the church, uh, the church in North America. So. Uh, um, the church is partly responsible uh, in, in large part for where we are today, because in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, the church withdrew from culture. It, it started to become pretty insular. It had a, um, a truncated gospel where the gospel was about, well, you and your personal relationship with Jesus and, and Christianity is about what you do on Sunday in church and maybe what you do in your personal life and the personal choices you make. But it really had no other application beyond that. And, and the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? Matthew 28, Jesus, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Jesus Christ is, is the Lord of it all. And then he sends out his disciples to, uh, yes, baptize uh, converts, but then also to teach them all the things that Jesus taught, taught his disciples, to live according to the way God would have us live, that Jesus would have us live. And so that's not done through the power of the sword. It's not through done through coercion, but it certainly is done through persuasion. And, and that means that churches in North America should have been in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, been working to persuade fellow Canadians or fellow Americans about uh, the, the good news of the gospel as it's applied to every aspect of life, not just their personal life, not just their personal choices, not just whether or not they go to church on Sunday, but how does the gospel apply to your sense of identity? How does the gospel apply to good public policy? How does the gospel apply to uh, the ideas that are being taught in, in secular spaces like, like, the, um, like the academy? How do, how do we critique that with an open Bible? And, and, uh, and certainly some churches were doing that, but, but a good chunk of churches weren't. They, they had given up on, on public engagement. And that's what leads to, to where we are now. Like there, there is no such thing as a, as a neutral space, right? So as churches receded from the public square, there's no vacuum it, that got filled in with another religious worldview, which was a secular humanistic uh, worldview with a, particular, uh, a particularly over-sexualized um, sense of personal identity. Um, yeah, and like you, like you just said, um, that uh, what Bill C. Ford did was codify a religious view of what it means to be human, and said the dissenting views on that religious claim, not a legal claim, uh, uh, a philosophical religious claim about what it means to be human. That's what happened with Bill C. Ford, and the, and so, the church was, yeah, was so somewhat I, quiet. Ironically, um, a lot of our secular friends um would say oh we need a separation of church and state um right. we no longer have that we have the inst institution of a sexual secular humanistic religion into our into our crim criminal code and that gets into what we've talked about a lot in the program what you've made mention there is no neutrality uh, there's mm -hmm. always going to be a divinity concept that the laws of your society are based off of it's it's inescapable it's just it's not a matter of uh, whether it's a matter of which. And those are the type of conversations as Christians in this moment that we need to be having. Well, well, I mean, let's talk about separation of church and state in the case of Josh. I mean, mm -hmm. Josh is not attending the public school system. 
He's yeah. attending the Catholic school system, the Roman well, Catholic the public system. Catholic school system. Right. So, That's right. So, so, so yeah, I mean, we're going to we're going to have someone on next week to, to talk about what's mm-hmm. really going on in the public Catholic system. And that it's it's the it's the it's the Catholic version of rhinos. Right. It's Catholic <laughs> in name only. Yeah. Um, but functionally, it's, almost, it's almost entirely. A, but but you're right in that there should be some sorts of some sort of protections as as a as in like churches example for example are allowed to believe what they believe and operate the way that they do as long as they're not breaking criminal laws and they should mm-hmm. be they should be allowed that flexibility uh, but apparently no apparently that's not the case where now you actually do have the state imposing on the church what it's allowed to do which is the opposite of the separation at least the historical understanding of the oper- the separation of church and state. It's you don't want a, a state church. That's right. <laughs> which That's which right. can, and, uh, Andre, uh, I, I, this is off the cuff. Can Canada really say we have a separation of church and state if we come out of the British tradition and they literally have an Anglican church? Like, I, I don't know how that that argument was actually forwarded in Canada and whether it's even legitimate historically, but uh, yeah. maybe, maybe that's a question that's beyond the podcast, yeah. but no, 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 that's all right. I mean, uh, so a little bit of shameless self-promotion here, but uh, I just finished <laughs> this book uh, late last year, a Christian citizenship guide, second edition available by donation on the arpacanada.ca website. Um, and, and in there, part of what I talk about in, in the second chapter is our constitutional history and, and, and one of the things I address is that, that idea of separation of church and state. What does that look like in the British common law system? And you're right, it requires actually a bit more nuance. It's not nearly as a strict, as strict a, a separation of church and state as, as is developed in the United States, mm-hmm. where that's a, a bit more of a constitutional doctrine. It's less so here. And I'd say that certainly um, there, there is an assumption in the development of, of the common law for, for hundreds of years that, that there's this Christian uh, understanding a biblical understanding of law as it develops so so it's not such a strict separation of church and state that it, that it says at least historically that we said oh any any religion uh, can be uh, can be embraced and and the uh, the civil government parliament the courts and so on will be totally neutral on on any religious claim whatsoever there was an assumption that there's got to be a at least this common basic understanding of the christian religion and uh, biblical concepts in order to base our law on. Um, and if you didn't have that com- commonality, then then it all starts to fall apart and unravel. So I touch on that a little bit in 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 that Christian citizenship guide. Everybody and, go pick it up. <laughs> I'll yeah, promote sure. it too. Yeah, I'll yeah. promote it too. And, and, well, and Michael I, Wagner wrote the first edition, right? That you kind of... Yeah. Okay. That's okay, right. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. So, so it's since, since doubled in size, but... Um, <laughs> It's uh, yeah, I, I hope it can be helpful for Christians as they think through that question as well. I think we, we can add a bit more uh, nuance there. And certainly in Canada's own own history, have, has Canada done it perfectly? Certainly not. Like our, our history has has holes and flaws in it. Absolutely. Um, but on this question of, of uh, Christianity and law, um, I think if you look at our history, definitely there's an assumption in Parliament and in our courts that good law has to be based on biblical principles. And and that all is completely eroded around the time of, of Second World War and, and beyond. So. so I'm gonna we're gonna give you an opportunity to uh, no shame talk more about that and, and I I guess as as we kind of 
wrap things up, there's a question that I that I have that I want you to address. It has everything to do with that Christian citizenship guide as we kind of offer some application. But I want to mm-hmm. I want to circle back um, to, to Josh's particular case, and I want you to yeah. imagine that it's, you know, 10 years in the future. And here you are, you're teaching a class at University of Ottawa, and you're highlighting uh, miscarriages of justice in the history of Canada. And then what you do is you highlight this case and you bring the specifics of this case. And so here we have a 16 year old that is suspended before the actual walkout for 20 days. He's told he's excluded from attending classes because particular students feel threatened by him, even though there have been no actual threats, no violence done, physical or otherwise. And then because he attends the class, which he thinks he has a right to, he is suspended for another week and is then told he's not allowed to trespass on school property until the end of the month. So if you're teaching this class on travesties in the Canadian legal system, how would you outline to your students or how would you say to them in this particular case, as it stands right now, here are the rights of a Canadian citizen that have been squashed or limited. Here are his rights that have not been protected and guaranteed, but have been, but have been impinged. And also here's an example of lawlessness as opposed to lawful activity. And, and the reason I asked that question is I want our audience to go to a place deeper than, oh, this is so unfair or, oh, the rainbow mafia gets another win. I want mm-hmm. I want our audience to actually think critically and say, OK, if I'm telling my friends about this, I can point to this is a violation of the law. This is a violation of his rights. This is an example of lawlessness and unjust activity. So pull mm-hmm. those out of this particular case so that our audience can be more equipped to talk about these things. Right. So uh, part of the problem with the development of the law is that um, there's there's constitutional law. Uh, which deals with the charter, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, equality before the law. Uh, these are all um, Josh's rights that he has against the state, right? So, and in, the, and in this case, the school board is an apparatus of the state. So, so Josh has a claim to freedom of religion against his principal and the school board. He has a claim to freedom of expression against his principal and school board. And he has a claim about being treated equally before the law uh, against his uh, principal in the school board because those are state actors, right? So that's constitutional law, but a, a huge part and a growing part of constitutional law is what's called administrative law, and that's every time a citizen bumps up against the executive branch of the government, whether that's a tribunal or a board or a commission or um, an agency or whatever. When, whenever that huge bureaucratic arm of the government interacts with a citizen, you're talking about administrative law. And, and that area of laws has become more and more complex, and there's more and more deference given by judges to the expertise of the administrative state, of the bureaucratic state. And so there's a trend going on where uh, those relatively straightforward constitutional rights of freedom of expression, freedom of religion, um, are more and more being uh, constrained, impacted, limited by administrative action and and the trend is that and judges will give benediction to that because they say yeah well we got to trust the expertise of the of the administrative state they're just trying to pursue the public good we just got to defer to the decisions that they make uh 
in, you know, in the name of the public good. That's a general trend that you need to keep in the back of your mind, uh, because that's where the vast majority of the legal academy is at. They're, they're totally okay with limiting charter rights uh, in the name of, you know, the public good as advanced by the bureaucracy. Um, and so that's how this case will, generally speaking, be, be seen uh, as it shakes out. Most lawyers, most judges, most law professors, and most law students will look at this and say, yeah, sure, Josh has freedom of religion um, and he has freedom of expression, but it, it needs to be reasonably contained and, and it needs to be reasonably contained because there's countervailing issues. There's countervailing rights that need to be considered like the equality rights of LGBTQ people or the right to feel safe in a, a school environment. And if by you know the right to feel safe, we meant that students should be safe from true violence, uh, you know, I, I generally agree. I think that the civil government has an obligation. I'd, I'd even go so far as say the civil government has an obligation under God to contain violence within society, right? It, it bears the sword to make sure that justice is done within society and that injustice, including violence against citizens, is properly prosecuted. That's, that's I think, its job from, from even a Christian perspective. Okay, so... So the shift, though, is that we're going to twist the meaning of words. We're going to twist the meaning of violence so that violence can also include words and ideas. Or um, and, and, and so what's going on is that also then when we look at the constitutional rights plainly written out in the, in the Charter, freedom of religion, freedom of expression for Josh, um, that will, okay, we're now going to balance it with the interests of the state for, for the good of society to make sure that they protect um, you know, m minority groups like like a transgender student and so on. That's how it how it'll go. So if ten years down the road from now I, I bring up this case, the vast majority of my students, I think, unless there's a massive revival in Canada um, and a, a massive reformation in the in the broader church in Canada in the next ten years, which could happen. Um, if that happens, maybe things will be different. But I'd say ten years down the road, most of my students would say. But what the principal is doing, why wouldn't he have done that? Of course, he was justified in kicking uh, Josh out of the classroom. Josh was uh, a threat. And we have to balance the, the, the rights of Josh with the, the rights of the transgender individual. We have to balance the rights of Josh with the goals and the objectives of the state to create safe environments for people to learn it. Uh, that's where the analysis is going to go. And that's one of the downsides of how the charter uh, is written. And I actually pl place the blame more on how judges have interpreted the charter since it's been written that that section one of the charter which says all of these rights are guaranteed subject to big caveat here subject to such reasonable limits as are prescribed by law and can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society and judges have created certain tests around what that all means and and the test as it relates to administrative law that that is the, the law of the bureaucracy um the, the test has been, in my opinion, watered down to the point where as long as an administrative actor like a, a school principal or a school board says, ah, we're going to limit your rights for this good reason or that good reason, the judges generally defer to that decision now. Um, and so that's the, the you you really succinctly recapped a gigantic legal revolution that's taken place in Canada, which we talked about um, 
with Bruce Party at length uh, of how even the idea of rights and equality, that language mm-hmm. has shifted. And um, I'm reading William Gardner's The Trouble with Canada Still, and he talks about the legal uh, legal revolution that's taken place in Canada and how essentially Canada was, as you said, built on this common law um British tradition, but really there's been a switch to a more civil law kind of French tradition in the legal mm-hmm. perspective that is, and those two things can't coexist. In Canada, there's been this weird tension between trying to make them coexist, but you can't serve two masters. So in law, you, you it's impossible for those two things to coexist and how that revolution has silently taken place. And interestingly enough, Andre, it, you can see it within that limitations clause, how how mm. the, the implications of having that limitations clause in there has allowed the state to essentially defer to the government as though it has a divine right to just arbitrarily overcome everybody's negative rights that should be negative rights against the state. But it's it switched that onus to now the mm-hmm. citizen justifying their rights against the state rather than the state, you know, really having to give what is due the citizen because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have God given rights that cannot be violated and, and how dangerous that is and how the, okay, this all seems abstract. This all seems ethereal, but it just plays out in the classroom of a mm-hmm. public Catholic school. When a man says, men and women are real. <laughs> Those sex distinctions are real. They're, they're literally in every cell of human beings that, that distinction mm-hmm. obtains. And it's totally inappropriate for men, biological males with male gametes to occupy the same, you know, private, you know, um, bathrooms as, as women. And then because he makes that stand, he's suspended and now has a trespass order. So while this seems all abstract and, and crazy, what you've, what you've said, Andre, um, is bad ideas have victims. And this bad idea has thoroughly permeated our culture. And now we're seeing victims come out of the other end of it. Now that we've are at the, you know, other, like the, the tip of that, you know, it's been a, at least 50 years, almost a hundred year, uh, the sphere. So that's, that's why I think it's important to have, um, and why we're so thankful that you joined us to have men who can kind of help us get under the floorboards of what's going on in, mm-hmm. in, uh, instances like Josh's case where we're not just having a knee jerk, like, Oh, that's stomach churning. How could the school do that? But now we're kind of uh, diagnosing why it's happening and, and mm-hmm. what we can maybe do about it. So I I don't know what can we maybe do about it? And maybe that's the last <laughs> question we'll put your way. Um, sure, maybe sure. some of your thoughts, you know, if, if you knew the perfect answer, I'm sure you, you would have it, but maybe give us some, Things to think about, given the fact that this is where we are, 2023 in Canada. What can we possibly do, um, and then we can we can wrap things up. Sure. Well, and and again, um, shameless promotion here, but the last chapter of this book is answers that question. What can we do about it? But let me let me hone into something that I don't quite get into in that last chapter, and that is as it relates to law, is that 
for a long time in Canada, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, depending on what uh, theological tradition you were a part of, many Christians abandoned the field of law. Um, I know that when my parents were young, uh, a lot of people within the church tradition that I was in said, oh, you know, Christians shouldn't really be lawyers. Um, if you're going to be a lawyer, you know, maybe in business law or something like that, but, you know, stay away th from things like criminal law um, or, or having having a better appreciation of, of the wider practice of law, family law too. Like, oh, you can't become a family lawyer. You just do divorces and that would just be horrible. Um, and, and so many Christians abandon the legal field. Uh, I have friends in the Pentecostal tradition who have said the same thing that when they were young, um, that, that they were told the same same thing in that tradition. So so many different traditions within the broader Christian tradition had abandoned the field of law, even though the common law tradition is built on uh, biblical foundations. Um, I'll give you a little little anecdote about that. If you if you look at the robes that uh, Canadian judges and um, and lawyers wear when they're in superior court. Uh, they wear a white, um, two, two white tabs around their neck. And you know, don't, don't tell non-Christian lawyers this uh, or non-Christian judges this, but those two tabs have a historic meaning and that is the two tables of the law. Um, don't tell them that because if they find out, they'll probably take those off and they won't let us wear them anymore. But um, that's, that's what that represents. And, and lawyers, uh, lawyers and clergy actually have both historically worn those in the Puritan tradition, for example, clergy would wear those two tabs down as well. So interestingly enough that ministers of the law and ministers of the gospel would, would both wear that thing representing the two tables of the law. And, and um, so, so why would we have abandoned the field of law? Uh, that's part of the reason why our laws have developed the way, the way they are, because the people who filled the vacuum were people who didn't care about the full application of the word of God, also to the practice of law. And there's the development of law in parliament or in the courts. If you think about the separation of powers between the legislature, the executive and the judiciary, that third branch, the judicial branch, is limited exclusively to lawyers. So if, so if Christians abandon the field of law, then, then we won't have Christian judges because judges are only selected from the from the profession of lawyers, right? So if we want to have an impact, Christians ought to be thinking about, hey, has the Lord given me skills, uh, the talents, the passion, the interest in politics and law? And if so, I we should be making sure that young men and young women, as they come out of high school or going to undergrad, that we're talking about them and encouraging them, say, hey, you should consider law. And and the, the practice that, that might also mean churches stepping up and saying, hey, we're gonna actually sponsor you to get you through law school. Law school is expensive. It's a, it's a pretty intense program. Uh, it's a particularly intense program for Christians because of the worldview conflict while you're in law school. Um, so so if you're gonna go through that, if you see that as a potential to be, uh, to be having an impact as a Christian in the development and practice of law, then I think a church could get behind individuals like that and say, hey, we're going to help you. We're going to walk alongside you and your family as you make that decision um, in order to, to influence our culture for the greater good. To, that, that's one way among, I mean, there's lots and lots of things we can do, but that's one way that I want to plant that seed in the minds of your listeners to say, hey, can, can we think about this a bit more? Think about the practice of law more. Think about what we can bring to the table to help shape law in a way that's good, that's just, that's, um, that embraces the freedom of, of all citizens to, to pursue the things that God is calling them to do and, and to move us away from the statism uh, that's infecting our public institutions over the last number of decades. Andre, where can people follow you, find you on social media and where 
can people go to get a copy of your book? Yeah, so if you go to arpacanada.ca, that's our, our uh, main webpage. Uh, we'd love to see you uh, follow us there. You can sign up for our newsletters there. If you go to arpacanada.ca slash citizenship guide, you can get a copy of this book for a donation of any amount, suggested donation $20. Um, and if you want to follow us on social media, we are on um, Twitter and on Facebook so you and, and on Instagram. So you can follow us there, arpacanada.ca. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, brother, for coming on the program, for helping us think through these very, very important issues, and ultimately for pointing us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life and how if we understand that right, it has downstream consequences. And because we've got that wrong in the church, it's had downstream negative consequences. So I hope that's a thought that we could leave everybody on, and we appreciate people tuning in to our midweek interview uh, podcast. And as we say at the end of every show, Galatians 5.1. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. Friends, we're posting new content multiple times every week throughout our various shows on this channel. So you're going to want to subscribe to it and hit that notification bell. That way you stay up to date with everything that we're releasing here with the Liberty Coalition Canada.